Hey, warmer from the low. Welcome to Love Me Las Vegas for Costco Soups with myself, Greg Heaps Peterson. Now part of the Beats and Family Podcast, we've got an excellent podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, we're going to be joined by Rob Donaldson. He does tremendous work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets Show. He's going to be joining me, and we're going to be taking a look at what we're going to be getting in Gonzaga versus UConn. We recorded this before we knew what the opening number was, so a little bit of speculation there. We're also going to be discussing, because we've had a lot of it this week, you're going to get a lot of it two weeks from now as well, where there's going to be a lot of unbalanced cards. With Christmas coming up, you're going to have like no games towards Christmas Day, day after Christmas, and then you get loaded slates after that. How he sort of allocates his time in terms of handicapping the bigger slates on days where we don't have so many games and how he goes about trying to find some value on these smaller cards like we do have for Friday as we do uh, only have nine games. So we're going to be diving into that with Rob in segment number two and then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters DM, maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of Twitter slash X questions, but I will throw this out there before we recap everything that we saw from Thursday. And it's a light card, and I do have to speculate forward just a little bit on this. Since Greg Peterson experience on Visa the Sports Bank Network, that is from midnight to 3 Eastern time, so 9 to midnight Pacific. So I'm recording this right around about... 9.45 p.m. Eastern time is what I'm doing it tonight, so do have to take a little bit of a look forward there, but I know that there's been a lot of speculation about these two-time transfers that it looked like they were going to be cleared to play. You really want to be taking a look at these on a situation-by-situation basis, because it seems as though if everything gets overturned in terms of the lawsuit that is happening right now, guys could potentially lose their eligibility if they try to play in this two-week window, and I know that there are some teams are going to be rolling the dice with this other teams are not I will be doing my best on this podcast to try to keep up with every single one of these and try to when I give you guys like the game breakdown for Southern Miss for example and the Andre Corbello situation letting you know whether or not he's in the fold that is something that I'm going to be doing my best with but do be taking this situation by situation I would say until we get more clarity with it do not try to have like sort of a blanket take with it so I do want to give you guys that little piece of advice but Let's take a look at what we got on a very thin card for Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. One trend is that our DK Network write-up picks have been pretty darn good thus far this season. We moved to 23-17 and 17 with East Carolina being able to get a cover 70-65 to 65 the final as I'm doing this, there's really no box score that is currently available, but I can tell you right now that Florida went, I believe it was 16 of 30 at the free throw line just by watching this game. It was brick after brick for East Carolina. They did a nice job holding in there. Bobby Pettiford had some really nice plays, and for East Carolina, a cover that was pretty much wire to wire, and for Florida, this has not been the world's greatest against the spread team thus far this season. They had that nice win against Florida, but really past that, has been a little bit touch and go for them as Florida now false uh, 2-8-1 against the spread. It is not as bad as Grambling has been against the spread thus far this season, and 
Right now, this game is in the balance as I do this podcast. We're doing this with about seven minutes remaining. Drake up by a count of 57 to 42, and this was a closing number of 22 in that. So, Grambling in relatively good shape, but they entered the night one and six against the spread. And as I do this podcast, you've got a Grambling team that's went one of 12 from three point range. A Grambling team that was in the top 20 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis eight seasons ago. Currently, they entered into the night 357th with that regard. So, we have seen quite a bit of a turnaround there, and hey, a team that has been upticking the Wisconsin offense. They were able to play another over, and they got the job done. They did not cover the spread, as the spread was in that neighborhood about 19 to 20 points, but Wisconsin gets the outright win over Jacksonville State by a count of 75 to 60, and Wisconsin all of a sudden starting to play a few more games over the total, and Jacksonville State entering into the night. They were one of your best under teams in all of college basketball. I believe that this was just their second over of the season. Might have been number three, but I know that they and the old Dolphins of Jacksonville heading in opposite directions as Jacksonville has actually been a very good over team thus far this season. But for Wisconsin, you were able to get some really nice production in this one out of the two main big men, Stephen Krull, Tyler Wall. They both went 7 of 11 and 7 of 12 from the floor for a combined 35 points, 16 rebounds. Badgers go just 5 of 16 from three-point range as A.J. Store been a little bit off with this three-point shooting thus far this season, but for Wisconsin, as per usual, they win the turnover battle. This one by a count of 15-8, to and they were able to win that rebound battle by a count of 33-27 to as well. You also saw a nice win and cover for the College of Charleston. They take down the Citadel by a count of 86-71. to Charleston was laying about 13 or so points in this one, and you figured that the three-point shooting after a just brutal first four games of the season for Charleston where they were shooting less than 25% from three was going to tick up. Frankie Polselli along with Rain Smith both won three of six from three bar range in this one and for the Citadel. They play relatively slow and under control but when you've got Charleston just bombarding you with threes like that makes it very very difficult. This is going to be a cover for St. Thomas. I don't think they're going to pull off the outright win and if they do certainly try to make an edit or something like that but as I do this Marquette with about seven minutes remaining against St. Thomas only up by a count of 66 of 56. Something that I'm going to be taking note of these next few weeks is we saw it last year in college basketball. These teams are laying Mondo numbers at home, like Marquette versus St. Thomas is a good example. We saw it a few days ago with that Northwestern versus Chicago State game. Because kids are off campus, because you don't have as much of a ruckus crowd, these big road underdogs pulling off these upsets, something that you want to be taking a look at. And this is just a relatively good St. Thomas team in general. They've really been able to build themselves up. They were at the D3 level just a few short years ago going up against the likes of, oh, I don't know, my alma mater of UW Oshkosh, Hail Titans, but for Marquette, I mean, they were only leading this game by right around 10, despite the fact that they were 7 of 18 from 3, while St. Thomas 8 of 26 from distance. But it's a St. Thomas team that plays relatively efficient. They do a nice job of not turning the ball over. So I do like their overall outlook. And as I record this, I thought we were going to have a final. But the total that opened up at 175 and Furman versus Tulane, Close more around about a 172 or so, depending upon your number. Well, Tulane, they ran and hit with this game early. Furman, they were able to claw their way back. As I record this, there's about a minute left in double overtime, and Furman, who closed as about a 7.5 point underdog in a little bit of danger of not covering this number, 113 to 108. So if you had took the Mondo over, you were able to get there as these two teams, as I record this, a combined 30 of 62 from three point range. 
If either of these teams can find a modicum of defense, they are going to be very difficult to guard moving forward, but every single one of the two-lane starters currently has at least 14 points in this game, and every single two-lane player that has scored at least one point has at least 13. Meanwhile, for Furman, all but one of your starters were able to get into double figures in this one. Just a harebrained, insane game there, so that was some happy action, fun time, and what else is fun is taking a look at Lamar, who was a favorite, flip to an underdog. Right now, they're kicking the tar out of Louisiana Monroe, so that's going to be a nice money line cash for anyone that was able to tail that one. And if you're looking at the landscape of college basketball right now, what we've been seeing in this landscape has been quite a few overs thus far this season. As overall for the season, over is sitting at about a 51.2% clip. As I record this, 814 overs, 777 unders, and a few pushes along the way with home underdogs. It's starting to take up a little bit more, 183, 179, and 70 against the spread, though. Favorites currently have a small lead over underdogs as favorites for the season, 797, 787, and 20 against the spread. If you look at the last seven days in college basketball, we have been seeing those favorites start to dry up. Underdogs 101, 92, and 4 against the spread with home underdogs specifically 24, 23, and 1 against the spread. And the overs over the last seven days have actually been cooling down a little bit more. 94 overs, 99 unders, and a few pushes along the way. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Now let's turn it forward to Friday. Let's talk to our good friend Rob Donaldson about how he handles these short slates, gets prepared for the bigger slates with them as well, some of the teams that are standing out to him, and preview Gonzaga versus UConn with him on the flip side right here on Cuts Good Soups with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beast of Family Podcast, and it is always tremendous to be joined by this man as Rob Donaldson. He does an amazing job over at his YouTube site, youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson, where he does a show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best Show. You're able to find that over your podcast as well as I know that he's doing a rock solid job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Couple with that, I know that he's getting all ramped up, ready to go for bowl season to defend his shop on the NFL front as well. And you're able to follow him on Twitter slash X over at Rob DFB altogether. And Rob, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Greg. It's finals week, so we're kind of battling the the short slates and the teams that we don't really know about or, or not a lot of people like know from a national perspective. But you know, I know you and I love kind of searching for these underdogs and searching for these disgusting looking lines so it's been kind of fun and also a little bit tedious at the same time yeah but it certainly is and how do you handle these short slates that we have been having this week because on friday it's going to be a very very short slate thursday as 
with this podcast is uploading. We just got done with those games. It was an incredibly short one as well. How do you go about it? Because as we know, games are very much scheduled on Saturday this week, and it feels like it's an all-or-nothing week in college basketball in which it revivals a lot of college football where you get like those Mac games on Tuesday and Wednesday. You don't have a lot there. And then, boom, everything happens on Saturday. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because what you should do from just a, a you know a textbook discipline standpoint is maybe decrease your bet volume a little bit just because, obviously, with smaller slates, on the board and college basketball being really the only thing going on during the week outside of maybe if you're an NBA better, it would make the lines theoretically speaking a little bit sharper. That said, I haven't followed that advice down to a T because I really do think there's a lot of value in if you kind of know the perception of these lines and why they're being framed the way that they are, a game like NC Central and NC A&T where it was disgustingly short and then ended up playing out that way. I think if you know these teams, there's a lot of value you can find on these pretty sharp slates. And with these short slates as well, it does mean typically it takes a little bit less time to handicap those rather than the Saturday slate that we're going to have. And do you sort of handicap ahead on like Wednesday, Thursday, when we don't have a lot of games and allocate a little bit of that time that normally you'd have? handicapping those Wednesday and Thursday slates into a day like Saturday. Yeah, 100%. You know, it does give you that little bit of a a freeing liberty to look ahead a few days and say, all right, how is this spot going to be potentially translating on the day of? And where do I think this line could potentially open for a game like, let's just use Thursday, for example, like Citadel and Charleston or Florida and East Carolina. I mean, those are, you know, obscure games that if it was a normal weekday slate of Tuesday or packed Wednesday. And this game was sitting on Thursday or Friday. Maybe I'm not looking ahead and thinking, you know what? Maybe I should look into this East Carolina, Florida game a little bit more in depth, but because we do have limited slates and a lot more time on our hands with the, on the handicapping side, you can look ahead and have that Liberty. And it is kind of, you know, fulfilling in a sense. It certainly is. Some of those teams that maybe they don't get the love that they deserve as they're out there on the extra games board, things like this. They do come to the forefront a little bit more this time of year. It's Rob Donaldson. He does great work with the show slash podcast. Rob's the best. Best is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And then from a handicapping perspective as well, because the reason why we've got shorter slates right now is because of two things. For one, finals. And two, our sub schools are already done with finals. I remember when I was at UW Oshkosh, we actually did ours in very, very late November, early December. So there are quite a few colleges I would not be surprised are already done with finals. And kids are already back home for Christmas break. And as a result, Typically, you get more sparse crowds with regards to home court advantage. And is that something that you factor in this time of year as well? Because I still remember last year all those big favorites going down at home. And I think part of it was just brain farts in general. Because when you have a north of 20-point favorite, the reason why that north of 20-point favorite loses and doesn't cover the spread is not because there was only like half the crowd as normal. That's bad basketball in general. But does that affect your handicap a little bit? Because that's something that I've been taking more of a look at in recent years. 100%. Because on the surface, when you're looking at just matchups, let's just say, you know, Marquette is going up against a team from the Summit League, which is actually going to be happening on Thursday against, you know, St. Thomas, Minnesota. Yes, the Tommies. And with that sort of matchup on the surface, you're just thinking, oh man, I know how lit that environment at Marquette can get. This team is really great. And then on the surface, the line is going to reflect that perfect atmosphere and that perfect come together of a great team, great atmosphere, inferior opponent traveling into this arena. 
Well, you've got to kind of eliminate a little bit of that atmosphere. Then you also got to factor in the human element of, yeah, these finals, it's getting later in the week. There's going to become more, potentially more weighing on these players. And is Marquette really going to get up? Just the player side of things going to get up for a team like the Tommies? Maybe not. And so when you see these 20 point and crazy high lines, you've got to be a little bit weary to lay it because they can get lazy on the back end, especially if they are one of these teams that have just been coasting against inferior competition. Yep, I think that that's so important to take a look at, and I'm so glad that you brought that up, succeeding against inferior competition, because part of what I look at this year, this time of year as well, is sort of the schedule that these teams have played, because you were mentioning Marquette, a team that I saw have been very high regard, despite the fact that they've got multiple losses thus far this season. I still have them as one of my top teams at all of college basketball over a team like, say, an Ole Miss at while they're undefeated, they had a very close call against Detroit. They've sort of been in survived advance mode to be able to keep that undefeated record going. And how do you sort of strike that balance of taking a look at teams that maybe they do have two to three losses versus maybe, I think that I brought up the good example here, of Ole Miss, who is undefeated, but they haven't been as battle-tested. And when they have been battle-tested, they've just been able to squeak by against the likes of Memphis. And when you look at these lines and teams that you potentially want to back moving forward, you can, to a certain extent, looking at it in a vacuum, not factoring in injuries and guys coming back or guys maybe getting their waivers approved or whatever else, you can look at these teams like stocks, right? You can say, oh, this team is undefeated. This is probably the peak of their stock. I want to sell a little bit on this line and take the other team maybe just out of pure blind fade of where a team is currently at in the standings and then vice versa. You know, if a team has two wins, but they've been really competitive or they have a really bad looking record, maybe it's not representative of how good they actually are. But moving forward, they're going to be catching lines like they are a 300, you know, win percentage type team, even though it's the early goings and we know things can flip around really fast, you know, with Michigan right out the gate, right? Where this team was really inferior, looked down upon in the Big Ten. Then they started off really hot. They smoked Asheville. They smoked Youngstown State. They smoked St. John's in the garden. And then at home, they get beat by eight against Long Beach State. It's one of those things where sell high. Definitely right now, there's a lot of value in doing so. But also, there's a lot of buy low spots that I'm looking forward to as well. Yep, I do think that this is a good time of year to be able to sell high and buy low on a lot of these teams that maybe have overachieved, maybe have underachieved, and just flat out gotten lucky slash unlucky to begin the season. It's Rob Donaldson. He does great work with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best. He's joining me on Coast to Coast Soups, and there are some teams that only have one loss. I've been very fortunate to this point, but I think a look at this UConn bunch are a one-loss team, and they certainly are not, in my opinion, one of those teams. They are certainly worthy of being a top-five team like they are right now. They're going to be taking on Gonzaga on Friday, and we are doing this without numbers, but this is going to be a game that's going to be played in Seattle, Washington, so it's not at the kennel, but it is in the state of Washington. But how do you evaluate this game between UConn and Gonzaga? Because even though it's out there in the state of Washington, I do give UConn a little bit of a leg up just because I look at this UConn team and they just feel a little bit more put together and they just seem a little bit more, shall we say, complete right now than this Gonzaga team does. Yeah, it's certainly interesting because where this line might open up at, just because you know you look at UConn's resume so far with wins over Texas versus UNC, then when they went to Kansas and they put up a, a pretty good fight there as well. This could potentially be like UConn laying five and a half points. And that would be really interesting because you're getting multiple possessions with a team like Gonzaga, who's going to be playing in their big. 
biggest get up spot of the season so far. I agree with you. I think UConn does look like the better team right now. But Gonzaga is going to be catching a little bit of the atmosphere here with it being in Seattle. And this team, we've seen them go toe to toe with everybody on their schedule so far. And that loss to Washington is a little bit nagging at what their perception might actually be right now. So I would lean towards just taking Gonzaga and the money line and just being pretty confident with it because their stock is a little bit low right now. And I think you can buy it and buy into it a little bit and get some value out of it. Yeah, but it is going to be interesting as well as to the total of this game as well, because I'm not sure how you've taken a look at Gonzaga, but I do still feel like there's a bit of explosiveness on offense. But what I think is interesting with Gonzaga is I have their offense in a bit lower of regard than he did a season ago. Now, certainly I don't think that they're going to be going through more stretches like that game against Washington that you referred to where they scored Three points in the final seven plus minutes. I was on the over, and that just died a horrible and sad death. So I was a little bit salty about that one. But I look at this Gonzaga team, and it feels like they're a little bit better on defense this year than they were in past years while the offense is taking a step down. I'm not sure if you gauge that as well, but that's my feeling on this Gonzaga team right now. Yeah, what's really interesting about this Gonzaga team is the amount of different pieces that they have, right? So it's not like it's a crazy deep team, but they have a lot of different guys who can do a lot of different things. So Graham E.K. down low, we know him from his Wyoming days. That guy is a monster in the post defensively and can get offensive rebounds for you. And you can even run your offense through him at times as well. But they also have the guard play where they're not going to be stagnant just trying to run through a big like we have seen teams do in the past with like, say, an Oscar Shibway, for example. They have the guard play that if they want to push the pace and say, take Graham E.K. just completely off the floor, they can and they can find a lot of success. So I think if you can find ways to make those different pieces mesh with a first unit, a second unit, or maybe even just like a spark plug unit in there. I think this is a team that in midseason, you know, when they're in conference play, are going to be drubbing teams by potentially 20 and 30 points. Yeah, but I do think that with Gonzaga, when they go up against the likes of Pepperdine and company, it's just going to be no matchup. <laughs> I will say, I do like what I'm seeing out of San Francisco. I think that they might be a team that could be able to hold in there as well as yeah. Rob Donaldson. Does great work with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best Show. He's joining me on the Great Beat, or he's joining me right here on Cusco Soups. And Rob, I just mentioned San Francisco as one of those teams that I've warmed up on a little bit. And at this point of the year, we've seen a lot of these teams play in the neighborhood about eight to 10 games. And are there a few teams in general that you take a look at in the landscape of college basketball? And you've had your, you've had to change your perception about them a little bit, whether that be to the positive or the negative. Yeah, there are so many different directions you can go, right? I mean, there are teams like James Madison who really weren't on my radar as far as being a top 10 level team, which I really do think they've emerged at. But if you kind of want to go with a team that I'm a little bit stocked down on just because of their recent performances, whether it's fair or not, it's South Dakota State. I really did think this was going to be one of the better mid-majors, especially with Oral Roberts potentially falling off without Paul Mills and without Max A. Smith and just kind of without Vanover in there. And so I really did think that they could potentially control the Summit League well, they've kind of looked a little bit shaky and a little bit inconsistent on offense. And so that team is a team that I've totally changed my perception on. And then you look at a team on the other side, like McNeese out of the Southland. I know I picked two pretty obscure teams, (laughs) but McNeese State is a team that right out the gate, I saw that they had a lot of transfer talent. They had a lot of returning talent to mix in with that transfer talent as well. And so I was interested to see how that VCU game to start at the season would play out. 
Well, they absolutely controlled that game. They won it convincingly, and they've looked impressive ever since. And now this is a team that could potentially roll into conference play as, you know, they weren't really relevant last year. I think they were around 500, and now they could be a 23-win team. I mean, that's crazy upside there when you're talking about underrated teams that are up and down for me. I absolutely love that you picked some world of the weird teams like McNeese State, who's been very good under Will Wade. He brought in a ton of talent, and that's a team to take a look at moving forward because they are one of those teams that was affected by the ruling that we did see on Wednesday that it sounds like most of those players should be eligible. Now, we don't know for sure what is going to be going down with all those guys, but we did see quite a bit of news on that front. And how are you taking a look at some of those teams like McNeese State, I know, was a part of it, Southern Miss with getting back Andre Carbello, guys like that, and taking a look at these teams that it seems like reinforcements are going to be on the way for with that whole lawsuit and the guys that weren't getting waivers now becoming eligible. That's a great point. I know we're tired of this word, but unprecedented waters, right? Where unprecedented gets thrown out every single time, whether it's talking about COVID, the transfer portal, NIL, all of this stuff that's happening in college basketball. Well, now we have just players who are legitimate stars and potentially the best players on these lower level teams who are stepping into the fold and immediately being inserted in the starting lineup and getting 25, 30 minutes. And we thought we had a handle on this team. All of a sudden we don't. It's a whole crazy mess. But the way I would do it is actually approach it with caution because, you know, you mentioned a guy like Andre Curbelo. Well, you got to understand there's reasons why these guys aren't playing for Illinois and St. John's and these upper tier high major programs anymore. And that's because they do have some faults. And for Cabello, it was turnovers. And there are still teams at these levels just because you're playing inferior competition that can force turnovers on you. And so when you're looking at all these teams that are relying on these waivers being approved or just transfer lineups in general coming into a season, there's a meshing point in a time where there needs to be some cohesion and needs to be some figuring out of how guys fit into their certain roles. And a lot of teams don't adjust well to that. I mean, we saw Austin P. Northwestern State basically transferred their lineup over to Austin P. And then out of the gate, they really sucked. I mean, they were getting killed by 20, 30, 40 points. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're walking into Southern Illinois in a crazy environment and they're pulling off an upset winner. And it looks like they're finally meshing. So you got to give these teams time. They will get better and be cautious if you're thinking about a, a star player just entering in a lineup and immediately having success. Yeah, and I've always had my question marks with Andre Carbello. I'm going to call what it is. I think that's <laughs> no coincidence whatsoever that Pasha Alexander last year, I by far his worst year ever at St. John's, he goes to Butler away from Andre Carbello, and all of a sudden he looks good again. So I do think that there's <laughs> something to be made there, and there's always something to be made out of your great work, Rob, because you're always on point with it. You do such an excellent job taking a look at this great game of college basketball. I know that you're doing a tremendous job on the football front as well, trying to decipher what we're going to be getting this bowl season, as that's a job much easier said than done. <laughs> but let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yep, Greg, love hopping on with you and talking ball it's always a great time and if you guys want to follow me you can do so on x at rob dfb and you can also follow me on youtube and subscribe to my channel over there and that's just going to be my name rob donaldson plain and simple and other than that i appreciate you having me on and let's go catch some more bets here yes sir let's do so and rob 
He does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends absolutely tremendous insights, much like he did today. So a big thanks to Rob for joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast to give you fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we get some big shots. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always good to get Rob Donaldson aboard. He does great work over at his YouTube feed, youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson, where he hosts the Rob's Best Bet Show. Does a tremendous job taking a look at the NFL, taking a look at some college football, diving in on the college basketball front. You name it, he does it. Every single time he joins this podcast, also lends amazing insights. So, big thanks to Rob for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at Junin underscore 81. And we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with all the games in time order except for the games involving the NEC and the Southland. Those are the two conferences that are going to be listed at the bottom today. I could give you guys a much more convoluted explanation, but we're going to try to keep this as clean and easy as humanly possible. And let's get things started with 881-882 on the betting board. It is the battle out there in the state of Texas. Texas State is on the road facing off against Sam Houston State. And Sam Houston State is a favorite of five points. Your total is anywhere between 133 and 134 and a half. And with Texas State, did set them as an underdog of six points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the five with Sam Houston State. Certainly a new look team. They do lose their coach and Jason Hooten in the offseason. And while their top guys from a season ago and Qua Grant are gone, but they do have their main facilitator. And a guy that's able to give you four and a half assists per game in Jaden Ray has been quite efficient in terms of being able to get guys ball, though I will say. Turnovers have been a little bit worrisome with about three and a half per game. They were last year with Sam Houston State. And because Sam Houston State is now playing at a top 75 mark in terms of total possessions per game, whereas last year they're outside the top 250, that has ramped up the turnovers to right around about 13 per game. This is a squad that has some good three-point shooting. Top four guys in terms of points per game are shooting at least 34.8% from three-point range with Devon Barnes coming over from Texas Southern. Slogged 15 points, three and a half boards. And this is a group that does a good job would be a rebound by committee. You don't necessarily have that one supreme rebounder right now. Had Damon Nichols Jr. be able to give you about six rebounds per game. And for Texas State, they are going to be looking to utilize the fact that they do have some size down low. Someone like Brandon Love has been able to give you seven rebounds per game. But big issue for this team has been the fact that Tyrell Morgan has been out of the fold for a month. He was expected to be one of the main guys because last year Mason Harrell was Mr. Do It All out there in the backcourt. They knew they were going to be weak there. So they were really banking on Morgan to be that true low post presence that would be able to elevate a team that is poor with their shooting. They're shooting 28% from three-point range, and I was talking about the issues with Sam Houston State turning the ball over. This team turns the ball over even more at about 13 and a half turnovers per game, and the problem for Texas State is that they're playing at an even slower tempo. Texas State always a pretty slow, pretty controlled team in terms of total possessions per game. This team is clocking in right in the neighborhood about 240th, so that's a big issue. Joshua Garrow, the transfer from Oklahoma, has only been able to shoot 6 
16% for three with nine points per contest. This team has quite a deep rotation, but they really don't have anyone that's been able to really elevate. Same as what you've been able to get out of Jordan Mason. He's been able to come on strong with about 17 points per game, but once again, about a 22% three-point shooter, a part of a group that is turning the ball over quite a bit, and he himself turns it over three times for contest. But Sam Houston State, in the way that they've been able to do a relatively solid job with their defense. They have now given up 70 points or fewer for their last five games. I do think that they hold up in this spot. Did set my total 136 because I do think we could get some late game falling in. We have seen an upward shift in terms of Sam Houston's tempo, so looking at the over, and we'll lay up to 5.5 with Sam Houston's 8. 883, 884 on the betting board. It is a battle of Colorado. Colorado plays us to Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado, an underdog of 22.5 to 23.5 points. 152 to 153 is your total. I did set this total at a 156, so I'm going to be diving in on the over with Northern Colorado. They're not playing as up-tempo as they have in past years, but Northern Colorado over the last few years has been one of the most grody teams in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis in all of college basketball. Right now they're clocking in 231st, which I will say for Northern Colorado Sanders is actually quite good. They've been much worse the last few years, but they very much do rely upon one guy to do it all. That'd be St. Thomas. He comes over from Loyal Chicago, and he's been great. 17 points, 10.5 boards, 4 assists per game. Not shooting it amazing from 3-point range at 27%, but you know what? He gives a little bit of versatility. He needs some help from his friends, and you've been able to get quite a bit of that with nearly 17 points per game of DeJure Reeves. Reeves is coming off of scoring 46 points combined in the last two games. Past that, it's been very much a horse apiece situation for a Northern Colorado team that has collective. They only shoot about 31.5% from 3-point range outside of St. Thomas. You only have one guy that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game. Brock Wisney, who's been able to give you 5.1 rebounds per game. And that's where Colorado should be able to dominate this game. And that's a big reason why I did make Colorado a 26-point favorite. Colorado won the best teams in the country in terms of rebound rate. You've got a pair of guys in Eddie Lampkin, Javon Hadley, who've done a nice job combining for 13 rebounds per game. They're chipping in their 17 points per game as well. And then each of your top three scorers for Colorado are shooting at least 41% from three-point range. It has been an absolute marvel to take a look at. And for this Colorado bunch, they do a really nice job as well of being able to shut down the three-pointer. And I think that that's where this game is ultimately going to be one slash loss just because with Northern Colorado, you do have Riley Abercrombie, six foot nine, little bit of a combo player. I'd say about pop threes, but I mean, with him having a little bit of a tough time just being able to put the ball on the ground, that does lead to him not being able to get a whole bunch of open looks in general. And for Northern Colorado, in terms of their three-point shooting defense, they are allowing opponents to shoot 37.3% from three-point shot. Colorado, they themselves are outside the top 200 with this regard, but I don't think that Northern Colorado has that outside shooting to really be able to take hold with K.J. Simpson, Tristan De Silva, right now being able to average a combined about 35.5 points per game. Simpson gives you 4.5 assists per game. De Silva, more like 3 assists per game. And as a matter of fact, for this Colorado team, each of your top 6 scorers are right now doling out at least 2 assists per game. This does include Cody Williams, who's been dealing with a little bit of an ailment, so that is something that is very much noted. But So even with him dealing with that injury, you still have someone like Luke O'Brien, who's able to do a nice job down low. I think that there's just too much depth with this Colorado team going up against a Northern Colorado team that has been getting cooked from the outside, and it's a Northern Colorado team that has allowed north of 70 points each other last five games in Colorado. 
has come on very strong with her defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games in regulation. I did set my total at 156. I do think that Colorado is going to be able to put up a big number on Northern Colorado. So looking at the over and willing to lay up to 25 and a half with the Buffaloes. 885, 886 on the main board. Bradley is going to be playing against Cleveland State. And Cleveland State is a 9 to a 9 and a half point underdog. Your total is between 140 and a half and 141 and a half. Did set Bradley as a 10 and a half point favorite. Here at a 9, 9 and a half, I'm going to be willing to lay this number for Bradley. It's been a little bit up and down thus far this season, but they have had to play some of the best mid-majors in all of college basketball. You know that it's a tough task when you have to go up against Vermont, Indiana State, and Akron in a four-game stretch, which is why they have racked up a few losses. They go up against the UTEP team. That is pretty solid as well, so Bradley has seen a whole bunch of different looks, and I just don't think that there's any way that Cleveland State matches up with Malevi Leons, who's been tremendous. 15 points, 7 boards. He's only shooting about 25% from 3, but at six foot nine, he does have that versatility. Bradley, at the beginning part of the year, they were turning the ball over north of 13 times per game. They brought it down a little bit. It is still a little bit of a worry point for them, but they've been able to do a little bit of a better job. They do go up against the Cleveland State team has been relatively solid in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc, but Bradley, they themselves are lying opponents to only shoot about 30% from three-point range, and it has been very interesting to take a look at the way that Cleveland State has been able to shape up in terms of their three-point shooting. Last year, they were outside the top 300 in terms of their three-point shooting percentage with largely the same unit from a season ago. Each other, top five scores, shooting at least 35.7% from three. As a whole, they shoot 35.8% from three. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with that. Now, one thing that Cleveland State did very well last year, they were able to force a whole gob ton of turnovers and they've been able to do that thus far this season. Each of your top four scores giving you at least 1.2 steals per game and between Trey Williams along Drew Lauder, you're able to get a combined about 26 points per game. Tristan Iranura, he's been the main man, leads the team in points and rebounds with 17 points, 6 boards, steal and app per contest and that's part of the issue as well. With Iranura, he's right around about 6 foot 7 and he does shoot about 41% from 3 delivers a block per game as well but you don't have necessarily a lot of size with this team as you were getting something out of KJ Debrick who at the beginning part of the season was averaging 2 blocks per contest he has not been seen in darn near a month, so that does hurt the depth of this team. And on top of that, that hurts them a little bit more down low. And then for Bradley, you've had Connor Hickman do a nice job doling out about three and a half assists per game. He and Darius Hanna have been able to combine for about three assists per contest. You've got Hickman shooting 39% from three-point range, and all of a sudden you've gotten some nice outside shooting out of Elmar Atlison, who's from Iceland shooting north of 50% from three-point range. Now, there should be some coolage with that regard, but he's been able to see some more minutes recently. He's really been able to ramp up the scoring, being able to give the team right around six points per contest. And this is a Bradley team that each of the last few years may have been a top 75 team when it's all been said and done. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they did get cooked a little bit against Indiana State and Murray State, but two very good offenses. And we've got a Cleveland State team that has been having their struggles on defense as well, allowing 70-plus points in three out of their last four games, while the offense it's come up a little bit short with fewer than 70 points in three of their last four. I do think they're probably going to do a relatively solid job of taking care of the ball against a Cleveland State team that they really do rely upon turnovers, but Bradley should be able to win from within and be able to get a double-figure win. I did set Bradley as a 10.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I do think that the defense comes to the forefront as well with a pair of teams that really don't crank up the tempo. Semi-total 136.5, so diving under and willing to lay with Bradley. 887, 888 on the betting board. New Mexico State is going to be playing us in New Mexico. New Mexico is between a 14 to a 15 point favorite. And your total is between 154 and 154 and a half. Did semi total 
at a 154 and a half. So at a 154 or less, looking at the over, this actually opened up at a 155 and a half. And at that number, I will be taking a look at the under right now. We're seeing mostly 154 and a half. So we're going to see how this moves overnight. If we see this tick back up to 155 plus, looking at the under, if this continues to go downward, that's going to be a play for me on the over. But when it comes to this New Mexico State team, and then they face off against New Mexico, you don't have to go back too far. It was two weeks ago. I remember doing a DK network right up thinking, ah, we've got some value in terms of New Mexico State, the Aggies catching the points. And, well, there was no value whatsoever because New Mexico just completely pounded the Aggies 106-62. There was 100 million billion fouls in that game. I do think that should be cranking down a little bit, but this is a New Mexico team that certainly can exploit this New Mexico State squad. New Mexico State, they are one of the most aggressive teams in all of college basketball, and in that last game, Jalen House was just coming off of injury, had 28 points in 26 minutes. He certainly elevates this New Mexico team that has been dealing with the injury to Jamal Mashburn, but even with that, you've had House do a nice job being able to contribute three and a half steals per game. He's been able to do a nice job of helping out Donovan Dent, who has become a little bit of a floor general for this team. Dent is right now shooting 38.5% from three. Can be a little bit inconsistent with the shot, but he's also worked on the turnovers as well. A combined five turnovers over the last three games, so he's been playing very much more in control. He's able to give you six half assists per contest with all those assists, and then you've got Nelly Jr. Joseph, who's able to log about seven half rebounds per game. JT Toppin has been able to do a tremendous job down low. You just don't have that size for New Mexico State. For New Mexico State, you were able to have Femi Otakala have a relatively solid game last time out, but this is a very high-variance guy that is right now towards the top of all of college basketball in terms of turnovers per game with four. It's a New Mexico defense that as well. They have been a great surprise this year. We all knew that the Lobos were going to be very solid with their offense, and I think there's going to be a regression with this, but they're currently 12th, New Mexico is, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you've got a New Mexico State team that they are 356 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I will throw this in here with that New Mexico State defense as well. They are giving up 31.4 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more moving forward out of Kazu Azugi down low. He's been able to give you 9.5 points, 5.5 boards. He comes in from Sam Houston State with his old coach and Jason Hooten, but this is clearly a disjointed backcourt for New Mexico State, or a team that shoots about 34.5% from three-point range, and you've been able to have Robert Carpenter, Christian Cook, both be able to give you about 10.5 points per game, but they just aren't at the same level of New Mexico. It certainly is going to take a while for New Mexico State to be able to overcome everything that happened last year as well with the season being brought to a halt. So it is a very interesting spot. I set my line at a 14.5. We are between a 14 and a 15. Personally, it is an interstate rivalry. It is a spot where I think that New Mexico State is going to want to atone for what we saw last time around. I would rather take 15 rather than lay 14 personally. I lean a little bit more towards the points. So looking at a 15 plus here with New Mexico State and in terms of the total, set mine at a 154 and a half. Seeing the current number of a 154, anything there or less, we'll be looking at the over. Now we have my DK Network right to pick 889, 890 on the betting board. It is Cal State Bakersfield. Meet me for the Roadrunners. Eight the road. They're facing off against Fresno State. Fresno State, a 9.5 point favorite. Your total is between 132 and 133. Except Fresno State is a 13-point favorite. My write-up is just laying the number with them. For Cal State Bakersfield, they've got some very misleading numbers because they played a game or two against a non-Division One team, and as a result, this looks like it's not an absolutely terrible defense, when in reality, this is a pretty darn bad defense. You take a look at Bakersfield when they're playing against Division One competition, allowing opponents to shoot 36.9% from three-point range. That ranks 315th in the 
the country against Division One teams, rather than the 70.1 points per game that they're allowing across the board against just Division One teams. This expands to more like 75.6 points per game, so that's a big giant issue. On top of that, this is a Fresno State team that they've got a big bugaboo. Their big bugaboo is turnovers. They turn the ball over at a rate that is 344th in the country, but Cal State Bakersfield, they don't force these turnovers. They're about 302nd in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And then you've got a Fresno State team that has been much improved with their three-point shooting. Last year, Fresno State 328th in the country, shooting 31.1% from three-point range. You've had Xavier Ducell come in from Wyoming. He's logged a little bit over 10 points per contest. Is shooting about 43.5% from three-point range, and he's made all the difference for this team. This is now a Fresno State team that ranks in the top 40 nationally with their three-point shooting percentage at about 38.4%. Donovan Yap has been freed up for some shots as well. He's logging a little bit over 10 points per contest. He is shooting well north of 40% from three-point range as well, and for Fresno State, I fully expect this team to be able to win the battle down low as well. I like the way that Anak Boye, along with Eduardo Andre 3000, have been able to control things down low. Andre has been able to give you about six half boards, a block per contest. Boyke, he's not necessarily too much of a score with only about seven points per game, but he's able to log about seven and a half rebounds per game as well. And when it comes to this Bakersfield team, you've got Botestas Kunkleres, the gentleman that comes in from Crane, who's logging about six rebounds per game. He's the only guy on the roster that's right now giving you north of four rebounds per game. This team is completely reliant upon Keith Higgins. 17 points, three and a half assists. It's 29.5% three-point shooting. It's much above average for this team as Bakersfield, they shoot 26% from three. That's in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball. So I do think that this is a really good matchup for Fresno State. I think that they're going to get their third straight double-figure win and it's a Bakersfield team that has been struggling with their defense in three of their last four games against Division One opponents, giving up at least 71 points. Meanwhile, we have seen Fresno State now give up fewer than 70 points in three out of their last four. So my DK Network right a pick, laying the points with Fresno State, was willing to lay up to 12.5 with them. I did set my total at a 127. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a low-scoring slog. Bakersfield, once again, in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Fresno State, they've been playing a little bit faster this year, but this is still not a Fresno State team as playing at warp speed, about 176th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So, going to be diving in on the under and my write-up that is laying the points with Fresno State. A91, A92 on the betting board, it is San Diego, and they play us to Portland State. Portland State does find themselves as a 1-1.5 to point favorite, and your total is between 150.5 and 152. I think that the wrong team is favored here. I said San Diego is a three-point favorite, so I'm going to be looking at them as a very slight money line underdog. With San Diego, things were not looking so great at the beginning part of the season for them, but they've really done a nice job of being able to wisen up, and they've been able to get a lot of good production. I mean, really, their main contributor back from last season, and that would be... Wayne McKinney the third. He's been able to do a solid job being able to log about 13 half points per game for a San Diego team that does need to take a little bit of better control of the ball. 14 and a half turnovers per game, but deuces are wild. Deuce Turner being able to contribute about 14 points on 37% three-point shooting. You've got a team that doesn't necessarily have that one demonstrative rebounder, but you've got five separate guys that have been able to give you at least 4.1 rebounds per game. Going up against the Portland State team that you're in and you're out, they don't have a ton of rebounding. They've had one guy in KJ Allen come in. He's been able to do a relatively solid job. Six foot six, do it all sort of player that's giving you about ten and a half points, six rebounds per game. But for Portland State, they're still really trying to find that main facilitator. To their credit, this team has done a great job of not turning the ball over. Only about nine and a half turnovers per game, but you tell that the offense 
just doesn't have the same explosiveness that they had when Cam Parker was in the fold a season ago. They've been looking a lot to Jarrell Satterfield, who's been a very good three-point shooter throughout his career, and he's still shooting about 33% from three to be able to dish out the ball about three assists per game. He's been able to log about 10.5 points per game, but... I do think that for San Diego, they're going to be able to do a solid job down low. Kevin Patton Jr. has come in as a six foot eight, little bit of a combo freshman, and has been able to do a very solid job, giving out right around about six and a half rebounds, 10 points per game. He's able to facilitate a little bit as a big man, though. That's not necessarily his forte. And when it comes to this Portland State team, because they don't necessarily have a ton of size, that leaves them very vulnerable on the inside. Portland State outside the top 200 in terms of opponents' two point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, you do have a San Diego team that they've actually been able to do a halfway decent job with their defense. It's not a San Diego team as, as explosive as they were last year with their scoring, but last year San Diego was a bottom 10 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're now 145th in the country with this regard, giving up 12.6 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. For Portland State, they just recently got a 6-point game against George Fox. That's a D3 school, so that's not necessarily too terrific. And for Portland State, when they have played against Division One competition, they have allowed north of 70 points in each of their last three games. So I do think that this is a good spot for San Diego. I did set them as a three-point favorite, so I am going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. And I did set my total at 147 with this improved San Diego defense, so diving in on the under and going to be looking at San Diego. Now this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board, and it is a big one from Seattle. 893-894 on the betting board, and we've got two extra games after this. Gonzaga and UConn do battle. UConn is a 5 to a 5.5 point favorite. Your total is 149.5. I set UConn as a 4.5 point favorite. This is an opener of 4. I, at the opener, I saw a smidge of value with UConn, but for Gonzaga, I'm going to be willing to take the 5 to 5.5. Even though this isn't at the kennel, it's still pretty much a home game for this Gonzaga bunch. It is out there in the great state of Washington, so UConn is going to have to go through the travel, and it's still a little bit of a body clock game. It's going to be starting up at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, so that's something to take note of, but with Gonzaga. I don't think that they win the battle down low, but I do think that Graham E.K., if there is someone that is going to be able to keep up with everything that you're going to be able to get out of Donovan Klingon, I think that he could be able to provide a few issues. As for E.K., he's been able to show off some nice versatility this year. He's currently shooting 40% from three, and it's really been a nice stat sheet stuff for 14 points, a steal, eight rebounds per game, so really love the way that he's been able to contribute along to Anton Watson. Now, with Watson, he's a career going into the year right around about 30 or so percent three-point shooter, so I I do think that his 39% three-point shooting is going to dry up a little bit, but 14 points, 8.5 boards, 2.5 assists, steal and a half per game. Love what he brings to the table. The issue that you do have with Gonzaga, ironically enough, has been the fact that it feels like Brian Nemard has been slow to come along. Out of your top six scores, he is the only of them that is shooting below 36% from three-point range. He has been able to give out 5.7 assists per game, but has been turning the ball over darn near three times for contests. I remember last year, the big issue that you had with Nolan Hickman when he was playing on the ball was those turnovers, and right now Nemard going through some of those same issues, but you've been able to get some good, unexpected production out of Brayden Huff, who's been able to give you 11 points per game. Now, for this UConn bunch, you have a pair of guards that are just so versatile. Cam Spencer, Tristan Newton. Between the two of them, about 33 points per game. Newton already has a triple-double to his credit this year. Seven boards, six assists, steal and half per contest. Spencer has been more of that tremendous three-point shooter at 45.5% from the outside. 3.8 boards, 3.8 assists. And for Donovan Klingon, hasn't necessarily had to play a ton of minutes. So should be well-rested. Should be able to go 25-plus in this one. He's been able to log two blocks, six boards, 13 points per game, and about 21 minutes per contest. 
has uh, been highly impressed by what he's been able to bring to the table. Solomon Ball has been able to step up for the team at combined 22 points in the last two games out of him as well. So you've got a lot of options for this UConn team that has done a really good job of taking care of the ball. Only about 10 turnovers per game, but I do like that Gonzaga has been much better with their defense this year than they have in previous years. Now, granted, Gonzaga has played against a few cupcake teams recently, but this team is now 33rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You know what you're going to be able to get out of this UConn defense. UConn, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, are clocking in at 14th, but I mean, UConn has played a lot of those cupcake teams as well, so I do take a look at this spot. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more defense-oriented. I do think that this total is very much in line with what we should be making it, but I do think that late-game falling just barely pushes it over. I set my total at a 150.5, so here at 149.5, looking at the over, and at anything of five or more, I'm going to be taking those points with Gonzaga. Now we hit our two extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306, 605, 306, 606. You've got St. Francis of Pennsylvania playing us at Mount St. Mary's. The Mount is an 8 to an 8.5 point favorite, and your total is 134. I set my line more around a 2.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with St. Francis. St. Francis has actually really been able to rise up. This team still has their issues. They don't have a single guy that is giving you north of two assists per game, as they've been very much reliant upon Cam Gregory to do a little bit of everything. Great name, by the way, but for Mr. Gregory, only guy on the roster that's giving you north of eight points per game, contributing about 12.5 points, 1.9 assists. He's been able to shoot only about 27.5% from three-point range, but Aaron Talbert has really been able to help out from the outside. Currently shooting 53% from three. It's on a relatively low volume, but he's contributing about 8 points per game, so these guys have been able to come along for the ride, but very surprisingly for the St. Francis team, a team that just looked absolutely terrible to begin the season, I mean, this might be Rob Krimmel's best job, because with absolutely nothing, they go on the road, they knock off American, they go on the road, they knock off Lehigh, they hang in there against Niagara, they were pretty close on the road against Iona as well. This team has really experienced a renaissance since they got pounded by 25 plus points in each of their first four games of the season, and they're going up against a unit at Mount St. Mary's that I just don't think is very good in general. For Mount St. Mary's in past years, you have guys like Malik Jefferson and guys like that down low. They're able to do a tremendous job on the glass. They don't have as much of that this year. As a matter of fact, they don't have a single guy that's logging north of five rebounds per game as Jetty Cordelia has really been that main man right around seven and a half points, five rebounds per contest. They do have a little bit of three-point shooting as Dallas Hobbs and Deshane Montgomery are combined shoot about 38% from three-point range or logging combined about 22.5 points per game, but they've really had to put the ball in the hands of Dakota Lafew a lot. Lafew was very solid off the ball last season, was shooting north of 40% from three, and he's really done a nice job in terms of his overall points this year with 17.5 points, 3.9 assists, but his overall efficiency down to shooting about 30% from three-point range. Coupled with that, he is turning the ball over right around about three times for contest as well, so you do have your issues there. Xavier Lipscomb has been out for nearly the entirety of the season, and George Tinsley, who I thought was going to be that main man down low for the team this year. Only about 4.2 points in the neighborhood, about 4 rebounds per game. Just expected a whole heck of a lot more out of him. It's a St. Francis team that's trying to find their way. St. Francis doesn't necessarily have a ton of ideal size of their own, but with the way that Mount St. Mary's has been struggling on the glass, the way that they're turning the ball over north of 14 times per game, I do think that St. 
St. Francis on their own floor. Going to be able to hold in there. Set this line at two and a half, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with St. Francis, and I do think that because both of these teams turn the ball over quite a bit, I do think that they're going to be able to turn a lot of defense into offense, and on top of that, Mount St. Mary's seeing a massive tempo shift this year, typically one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, up to about 105th in terms of total possessions per game, so I did set my total at a 136 half, looking at the over, and looking at the points with St. Francis, and wrap things up with 306607, 306608. You got UT Rio Grande Valley, and they're going to be playing us at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and Corpus Christi is an underdog of three to three and a half points. Your total on this game is 150. I did set this line at three. So getting three and a half, that is my buy point on Texas A&M Corpus Christi for this UT Rio Grande Valley bunch. It's a pretty rough unit as of right now as they've been able to get quite a bit out of Elijah Elliott. Like the way that he's been able to contribute about 15 and a half points per game, but this is a core that is shooting 27% from three-point range as currently in the bottom 40 in all of college basketball. You don't necessarily have just anyone supremely being a rim protector as well. Been able to get about a block and four assists per game out of a highly versatile guy in Hassan Abdul Akeem. I really like this six foot eight, just overall mindset. He's been able to give you a combined 44 points and 15 rebounds in the last two games. So this guy's been able to come on strong for the team, but they just from there have a bunch of options that just seem to be all over the place. They deal with an injury to G. Anthony Tipler as well. He went out right around Thanksgiving. He's a career nearly 40% three-point shooter who was over at ETSU a few seasons ago. Coastal Carolina as well. He was supposed to really help this team out in the backcourt. That just has not been the case. And for Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, life without Will Lutz has certainly been rough for this team. And they do have a few guys that are left over from last year, but certainly not the main contributors. You've been able to get a little bit of something, though, out of Lance Amir Paul, who's been able to give you multiple assists, four boards, and and a half points per game. It is a Corpus Christi team that they still have been able to do a really good job of turning teams over. 16 and a half turnovers per game for us. That's a top 30 mark in all of college basketball. You also have someone left over from last year in Ondes who was glued to the bench a season ago. He's been able to take some minutes and run with them. He's logging about seven points per game. Six foot eight, bit of a combo player. has been able to give you some stretchability and is coming off of having four assists in the team's previous game as well. And on top of that, for Corpus Christi, they're grabbing nearly 15 offensive rebounds per game. They've been able to do a really good job of being able to generate second chances. These has been part of that. Gary Clark has been able to give you about seven and a half rebounds per game as well. And UT Rio Grande Valley, they just don't have the ability to do that. You do have some like an Aaron Freeman, couple with Dalen Williams. Both of these guys have been able to log about six rebounds per game, but they don't necessarily get those on the defensive side of things. Now for Grand Valley, they do a solid job of being able to generate about 10 seals per game as well with Elliott along with Abdul Hakim being able to generate about three and a half seals all by themselves. But the very suspect shooting of UT Rio Grande Valley does have me a little bit out on this team. And for Corpus Christi, Defense has actually been improved a little bit. They have now given up 63 points for fewer in two out of their last three games. It's a UT Rio Grande Valley team that they themselves just keep on giving up points after points. This is a top 30 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. As for UT Rio Grande Valley against Division One competition, they have allowed at least 74 points in every one of their games this far this season. So I do think that you get a relatively up-tempo game. I did set my total at 153. Grand Valley just can't stop giving up points. So looking at the over and at north of three, going to be taking a look at the points with Corpus Christi. And that will wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. A big thanks to our good friend Rob Donaldson over at the Rob's that's that show. You join me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline, at gnn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. 
Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you like here on this podcast via that five-star review. And I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.